exciting, isn't it, to come together and look into God's Word? God gave us the Scriptures for our instruction and our training. Amen? So let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. This morning we'll read from verse 7 to verse 16. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this beautiful scripture that you have inspired that speaks of the truth of who you are and what you have done. And I pray that this morning you would enlighten us and open our understanding to see into these things, to know your love that passes knowledge and to be changed by it. In the precious name of Jesus Christ and for his glory, we pray, amen. Well, one of the most enjoyable things that I remember when I went hiking and camping when I was young in New Brunswick, hiking and camping in New Brunswick, by the way, is much different than hiking and camping here in Utah. Just the, the environment is totally different. But one of the most enjoyable things I remember was whenever I would run into a beaver dam. A beaver dam. How many of, or how many of you ever run into a beaver dam before? Have you ever seen one? Does everyone know what a beaver dam is? For our French brothers and sisters, it is a barrage de castor. Right? A barrage de castor. A beaver dam. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yes. Well, there's lots of beaver dams in New Brunswick. New Brunswick is heavily wooded. There's lots of waters, lots of rivers and streams, and there's lots of beavers. As a matter of fact, uh, the beaver is one of Canada's national animals. But beaver dams, yep, we have beavers on our coins, on our nickels. <laughs> but beaver dams are amazing things. Ever thought about a beaver dam? Beavers are amazing things, period. You got these, you ever seen a beaver? They're these small, furry animals. 
They kind of go like this with their hands. They've got these huge tails that are flat, and they can slap them against the water, and they can swim with their tail like that too. But what's amazing is that they make these dams. What's that? I see them on TV. Yeah. <laughs> what's amazing is that they make these huge dams. They chop down trees with their teeth. Isn't that amazing? Now, when we chop down a tree, we take an axe and we got to hack at it, right? Or a saw. They bite a tree in two. Isn't that amazing? And then they engineer it. Yes, and then they pull that fallen tree. I'm not sure. Probably spit it out, I guess. Isn't that amazing? They, they, they chop a tree down with their mouth, with their teeth, and they pull that log to the water. And their purpose, they got a purpose in this. They're not doing this randomly. They want to stop the flow of the water. They want to create a dam. And so they bring these trees, they bring sticks. If you ever seen a beaver dam, it's full of, it's got some big trees, but it's got a lot of sticks, thousands of sticks, just stuck in there everywhere. Uh, rocks, mud, they take mud in their paws and they carry it over and they like plaster. They create a dam. And they can stop rivers from flowing. Isn't that amazing? What's that? I don't. I don't know. They build it because it provides protection for them. Um, and it, I think it also provides uh, a good place to fish as well. But somehow they have this instinct that God created to stop rivers. <laughs> okay? The average dam, now get this. <clears throat> Now, multiple beavers can work on one dam, certainly. But I bet one beaver could do it, too. But the average dam is 328 feet long. That's about the size of a football field. It's bigger than a football field. The average dam. Now, you, there's little dams, too. Okay? But you, you just see a little spot on the outside. That's where it lives. That's like its little home. It, it creates a lodge, something oh. even different than the dam. Oh. But... Now, there's lots of little streams. They'll make little dams, but the average one is about 328 feet. The longest beaver dam in the world is 2,788 feet, and it can be seen from space. In Wood Buffalo National Park, Alberta. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Now, the smaller the river they build straight, and the larger it is, it's a big curve. Okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Isn't that amazing? And they, isn't that amazing? God created them like that. It can be seen from space. That's over half a mile long. Beaver dams. Now, are beaver dams good or bad? That just depends. What beaver dams do is they create flooding, obviously, because they don't regulate the flow of the water. They just dam it up and it floods. And this is very good for the environment. It creates... Uh, Lots of fish flourish, lots of wildlife flourish. It floods the area, lots of growth takes place, if that's what you want. It's very bad for civilization if they're near civilization. And this is actually a problem that sometimes we deal with. There's a place in South America, there's an archipelago where there's beavers, and they're just wreaking havoc because there's so many of them creating all these dams, and the water's overflowing and destroying infrastructure. So they can be good and they can be bad. It just depends on the purpose. Do you want a good environment or do you want you know, civilization to function well? 
Now, I want to draw a spiritual analogy this morning of beaver dams. Now, we could say a beaver dam is, in the spiritual sense, we could look at it in a good sense. Perhaps a beaver dam, we could say, stops bad things in our lives and causes good things to grow. Or we could say it's not good because beaver dams in our life stop good things to flow and causes damage and bad things. What is it going to be this morning? I want to look this morning at our text, and I want to think about, as a spiritual analogy, beaver dams as spiritually bad things. Now think of a river, and think of it flowing, and what that river represents is love. The river is love. And what happens is things get in the way, things that the devil uses get in the way of the flow of our love. Things get in the way. Do you ever feel that? How many of you ever ever felt that? that? What I mean is you really do love somebody, let's say. There exists love in your life. But things get in the way of that love coming out of you and expressing itself to others. Do you ever feel that way? Is there anyone in your life that you love, but you notice that you don't express that love because things get in the way? Like beaver dams. Little things. Little by little. It doesn't happen at once, right? Little things build up until finally there's a stop of the love that you actually have in your life. Maybe it's forgetfulness. You really do love that person but you just forget to express. It's not that you don't love, but that forgetfulness gets in the way. Maybe it's distractions. So you really do love that person, and you, you really have a desire to express that love, but you get distracted by busyness or other things, or something else catches your attention. You, really, you want to express it, but there's something else that you're busy with. School, work, entertainment, something some need, and you can't do the thing that you want to do for that person. Or maybe unforgiveness. You really love somebody, but you just can't seem to forgive them for what they did to you, and it keeps you back from expressing that love to them, or anger, right? You're angry with the one that you love, and so it's hard to express it. So there's many different things that can get in the way of the love that we have. And this is what John is saying here in our passage. Look at verse 7 with me. He's saying, Brothers and sisters, as we've been looking at in this letter, if you know God, how do you know God? You know him through Jesus Christ. How do you know Jesus? You know him through the gospel, the message. And if you've believed the message, if you've believed the gospel, if you've trusted in Christ, you know God. And God is a God of love. And you have, because of that knowledge, the love of God in you. Therefore, he says, beloved, love one another. So he has to exhort us to love one another. He says, beloved. He's talking to Christians. Beloved. These are the ones who know the Father's love. You know the Father's love, Jacob. Right? You know it. And because you know it, there's a cash in you. There's a deposit. There's a river. And that's the Father's love that you know. But sometimes you think, well, I don't, sometimes I don't feel like it's there. 
or sometimes it's not flowing, right? John has told us, do you remember in chapter 2? Flip back to chapter 2 with me. When John talks about loving one another in chapter 2, verse 8, he tells us right away that the love is already in us. Look at verse 8. He says, again, a new commandment I write unto you. He doesn't tell us what it is explicitly, but it's love one another. And he says, which thing this commandment is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. If you've believed the gospel and the light of the gospel is flooded into your soul, then you have this commandment true in you. You do love one another. You do. We've talked about this in the past. You love the brethren, right? If you're a Christian. You don't hate the brethren. You don't hate them because they're righteous through faith. You don't hear about someone who's righteous through faith and say, I can't stand that righteousness through faith. I can't stand that that guy got accepted on the basis of grace through faith. I can't stand that. And I hate him for it. And like Cain, I'm going to kill him. Or despise him, at least. So Christians, because we have known the gospel, we have a love for the brethren. And yet, John says, love one another. So there's two things going on here. You've got it, just let it out. You've got it, just let it flow. You've got it, don't let anything get in the way of letting that love that you have for the brethren express itself. Now, if you, have a, if you own a house or rent a house, you probably have a faucet, right? You turn on the water. You know how convenient that is? That's amazing. But if you don't turn on the faucet, is your house still connected to the water? Is your house linked up with the water? Do you have water in your home? You do, even if you don't turn that thing on. But just because it's not turned on and you look at that faucet, nothing's coming out of it, should you whine and complain and say, we don't have any water in the house? There's no water. No, no, there is water. Just, you're connected. You just got to turn that thing on. You just got to get whatever it is that's blocking, which happens to be the, the uh, yeah, exactly, the stopper. You just need to turn that, and it will come. And that's how it is with Christians. Because we believe in Christ, we're connected to the love of God. We know the love of God. We have the love of God in us. We're all like faucets, basically. And you can look at somebody's life and say, there's no love coming out of him. Well, therefore, there's no love in him. And that's not necessarily true. He just needs to get things out of the way. Just turn it on. Get out those things that block and hinder the love from coming out. Now notice what it says here. Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, you who have known the love of God, let us love one another. So there's the fact that you have it and there's the exhortation to love. And here's what he says. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not does not know God, for God is love. Now, some people will take this and say, well, if everybody that loves is born of God and knows God, then therefore everyone in the world knows God and is born of God. We're all children of God, because we all do loving things now and again, right? I mean, is it true that only Christians are the loving kind of people? Does a non-Christian ever do something kind? And Of course they do. And there's some people that will take this verse and say, well, if God is love and love is of God and we see love in the whole world and everybody's loving each other, then therefore everybody's of God, right? We're all of God. This is not what John is saying. 
Notice what John says next in verse 9 and 10. Now, while it is true that because we're all made in the image of God, whether you're a Christian or not, we're all made in the image of God, and therefore there is the traces of God's character in every person, right? There's a conscience in every person. There's some kindness in every person. But the love that John is talking about here is not general, but very specific. And look how he talks and defines love. How he defines love. Because this is the love he's talking about when he says, let us love one another because love is of God and God is love. Here's the love he's talking about. 9 and 10. Specifically this. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. And what is it? Because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. John is basically saying, this is what I'm talking about. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave him, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, when he says, if God so loved us, he means, if God loved us in this way, then we also ought to love one another. So John is not talking about when a, a person is just kind to another person. John is talking about that special love that's revealed in the gospel. And what is that love? That's the amazing love that we sang about. How can it be? You see, God sent his son into the world so that you might live through him. Now, why do you need to live? What's that? Why do you need to live, though? What's the opposite of living? Dying. Guess what? Gospel 101, without Jesus, you're dying, and you're going to die, and you're not going to live. And death is the taking away of life. God created this world, and he gave man life. But because of our sin, he takes it away as a punishment for our sin. Every one of us is going to die, right? It's sometimes hard to remember that. So, sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's hard, though. Because usually when you flip on the television or turn on your radio, the, the, uh, the media is not reminding you about death, are they? <laughs> They're not saying, hey, did you know that you're going to die? One of these days, you're going to die. <laughs> are you thinking about your death? You need to do those things that are most important. Don't forget God. Make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're loving your family today. They're saying, that's the opposite of what they're saying, isn't it? Hey, you've got to live for yourself right now because it's all about you. And you're going to live forever. You need to plan for yourself forever. Make a lot of money. Buy that big house. Sure, it'll take you 60 years, but who cares? <laughs> right? <laughs> Waste 60 years of your life to buy this thing. <laughs> what 60 years? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. They're not 
putting into us an awareness of eternity, an awareness of death. We get that from the Bible, don't we? We go to the Bible and we're reminded of the fact that life is short. Life is fragile. Life is taken away because of sin. The only reason you die is because you're a sinner. It's the punishment for your sin. That's right. And the Bible doesn't just say that we die physically. But the Bible also tells us that because of our sin, if we die in our sin, we are eternally separated from God and will be punished with eternal torment in a place called hell. That's what the Bible teaches. That's not what man teaches. That's not a doctrine of man. Man would like to get away from that. That's a doctrine of God. It's saying your sin that you commit every day, even the ones we commit as Christians, we get up in the morning and we sin. Our sin is so wicked and repulsive and abominable to God who has given us a conscience. We know exactly what our sin is. We know exactly what we should do. We know exactly what we shouldn't do. And yet we still just fluff it off and we think, ah, it's no big deal. And we sin. The Bible says not only physical death, but hell is our punishment. We forfeit our right to living with God through sin. Have you ever been aware of your sin? Have you ever felt sinful before? <clears throat> when you feel sinful, something happens. When you truly feel sinful, you are aware of the fact that God would do right in sending you to hell. Okay? And when you begin to pray to God, you can't appeal to what you've done. You can't say, well, God, I know I'm a sinner, but let it go because I will pray more or go to church or witness. You realize all that doesn't work. I'm a sinner, and God, if you do what is right, if I get what I deserve, what I deserve is to go to hell. If you send me to hell, you would have done good. And when you are aware of your sinfulness, it's then, and really only then, that you become aware of the love of God. In this was manifested the love of God toward us sinners because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we sinners might live. Not by our own goodness, but through him. And we might be spared death through him. We say, wow, that is amazing. We, me, he sent his son for me so that I could live. Wow, me who doesn't deserve this? I deserve to go to hell, and he's sending his son to live so that I can live through him. What did the son do so that I could live? Here it is in verse 10. Not that we love God. This isn't even about your love for God. Do you get that? The gospel is not even about your love for God. It has nothing to do with that. It's about God's love for you. It's not about your love for God. 
You can go to many a church, and it seems like it's all about your love for God, right? You got to do this. You got to do that. Don't you serve God? Don't you love God? Don't you this? Don't. It's not about that. This is what love is all about, brothers and sisters. Catch this. Don't forget it. It's about not our love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Here's how he saves us, to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is that which takes away wrath, which takes away punishment by bearing it in itself. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Willingly, gladly, because he loves you. Through Jesus, you understand that God loves you and that his love for you isn't based upon whether you're a good person or not. If you sin today, which you will probably, you know that God's love remains relentless, steadfast, unchanging towards you? You realize that the propitiation, the cross, doesn't change? That's your only hope, isn't it? We can rest and confide in the love of God for us. This is what being a Christian is all about. It's about knowing God's love for us. It's about knowing the death of Christ. It's about resting in that. It's about living through that. And that's what love is all about. So no, the world doesn't love like that. So they can't take this passage and say, well, we all just are kind to one another, pretty much, so we all are of God. Not true. Only those who believe the gospel are of God, and those who don't are not of God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 46 and 48, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't the Gentiles do that? If you greet your brother in the street, hey, and you're really kind to him, a patient, whatever, what, what do you do different than, than everyone else, right? This is not the love that he's talking about. Just being patient and kind to people isn't the love he's talking about. He's talking about the love that is unconditional, the love that is got a view of the Christ and the propitiation. And it is a love towards sinful people who don't deserve it. Cain didn't understand that. And so therefore he hated his brother. Christians understand that. And we can love, and in fact we do love, those who are sinners. Are you, are you hateful towards somebody because God accepts them as a free gift? That actually, we think, well, of course not. Do you know that many people in the world are? Yeah, we think, because we're Christians, right? It's like, what? No, of course not. Eli? Most people in the world are. This is what God's love is all about. And if you believe in Christ, brothers and sisters, you have that love in you. Do you understand? He's not exhorting you to love like the tax collectors or the Gentiles. He's exhorting you to love like God loves. And he's saying, you have this love in you if you're a Christian. Let it out. Love one another. So, if you have that love in you, 
It's the only a matter of turning, it, turning the faucet on. D destroy those dams in your life. Don't let forgetfulness, distractions, unforgiveness, or anger, or whatever else may be, get in the way of you loving others. You have all the tools in you to love one another. So are there any dams in your life? Think about it this morning. Is there anything that gets in the way of you loving unconditionally like that? You have it in you because you believe. If you didn't have it in you, you wouldn't be a Christian. It's just a matter of breaking down those dams. So let me exhort you this morning to think about it. Think about those things that prevent you from letting that love out. Tear down those dams and watch out for beavers that want to come and put sticks in the way of unconditional love. Make sense? Let's look at the next verse. No one has seen God at any time. You know what that sounds like? Flip with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The Gospel of John and the Epistle of 1 John are so interconnected. It's helpful to notice when they're connected and to refer, to, refer back to the Gospel of John to see what he's talking about. Look at John chapter 1, verse 18. He says the same thing. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. But guess what? No one's ever seen God. However, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen God. Not directly, but you know who God is. You understand the essence of God. And God has no essence hiding besides Christ. If you see Christ, you see God in, in the fullness of who God is. It's not that you're just seeing a part of God, but he's still hiding himself somewhere else. You see God truly. You know God truly when you see and know Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus full of? It's in context here in John 1, he's full of grace. God is full of grace. When you think of God, do you think of a God full of grace? What grace? Grace. Grace, charis. Grace that is righteous. Grace is not leniency. We don't think of God and say, yeah, God's just this big teddy bear up there who forgives everybody. No, grace is God is holy, 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 and who punishes sin and yet punished his son so that I could be forgiven. He's full of grace. He forgives me in such a way that upholds and magnifies his righteousness and his holiness. That's grace. Grace is the mercy and the forgiveness of God that's married with his righteousness and holiness. It's Christ. No one has seen God in at any time. But when you see Christ, you see God. Now go back to 1 John. He says the same thing. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, if we love one another... 
God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. You know what he's saying here? He's saying this. You know what? We know that God dwells in us, as he goes into the next verses here, which we read earlier. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us, verse 13, because he's given to us of his spirit. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. We know that we dwell in God and he in us because of those two things that John's been repeating over and over in this epistle. Number one, you believe the gospel. Or to put that another way, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, you confess the gospel. You confess that Jesus, and who do we mean by that? The one who came, the one who died, the one who rose, the one who's full of grace. He is the Son of God. So there's a lot of content there. And that we love the brethren. These two things is how we know that we're of God. Do you believe the gospel? Do you confess that the Jesus that the apostles preached is the Son of God? And do you love those who are righteous through faith? If you do, you know that God dwells in you. But here's what he's saying. The world doesn't know. So if you believe the gospel and, don't, and you don't hate those who are righteous through faith and you love them, you know. But the world doesn't know. Here's how the world knows. The world only knows when they see love manifested in your life. What did Jesus say? Love one another. And by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He's not talking about your assurance of your salvation now. Okay? You know you're saved because you believe and you love the brethren. But if that faucet's not turned on, you may know that you're a Christian, but the world sure doesn't. The world must see the manifestation of love. F.F. Bruce wrote, The love of God displayed in his people is the strongest apologetic that God has in the world. The love of God displayed in his people. So no one has seen God any time. No one knows who God is. But when you see Jesus, you know. Now what is it about Jesus that we see that makes us know about God? Is it just seeing him walking there? Seeing what he looks like physically? It's seeing his grace. It's understanding his cross. It's understanding his love. The apostles saw Jesus, didn't they, physically? Verse 14, when they say, we have seen and do testify. Or in the beginning of 1 John, they say, that which we have seen and heard and touched and looked upon. But what is it about the, what is it about the apostles? What is it that the apostles saw that transformed the apostles? Was it simply physically seeing Jesus physically and what he looks like? Well, he's got brown hair and a beard and seeing Jesus is seeing what? Yes. What are we seeing when we see Jesus? Is it physically? No, it's got to be more than that. Now, of the, the apostles physically seeing Jesus was super important because it was through seeing him physically that they saw what he did, what he's about, and they heard him speak. But what was it in a deeper sense that they saw and heard and understood that made them know who God was, it was the love of God displayed, manifested through Jesus, wasn't it? It was the love of God manifested and displayed through him. That's what the apostles saw that transformed their lives. 
And do you know that if we have the love of God in us and we manifest it, then people are seeing Christ through us and so are seeing God through us as well. And they're seeing the same thing that the apostles saw. Isn't that amazing? We're just ambassadors for Christ, bearing the news about what he did, which reveals who God is. So we can reveal God also. No one has seen God at any time, but when they see Tom manifest unconditional love for sinners who don't deserve it, then suddenly they can see God. Not physically, not directly, but indirectly through him. I submit we have an advantage over, over the apostles. The apostles not, did not yet have the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We do. Right. I mean, they, they really didn't get transformed until after Jesus had left, <laughs> right? Brothers and sisters, the love of God that's revealed to us in Christ, in the gospel, is in you. And it is the same love that transformed and inflamed the apostles that constrained them. It's just simply a matter of turning on that faucet and manifesting his love to the world. Let me quote Bruce again. The love of God displayed in his people is the strongest apologetic that God has in the world. Here's what they say in verse 16. This is the power to transform. We have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God in God in him. Can we know and believe the love that God has for us? Yes, we can, just like the apostles did. So, beloved. Beloved, 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 you who have been loved by God and know his love and believe his love, you understand his love, his love is in you, you don't hate people because they're righteous through faith, You don't despise someone because they're a sinner, because you're a sinner too who's been accepted. It's just simply a matter of you manifesting that same love to the world, to others. Every day, day by day, in your home, at work, at church. Manifesting the special kind of love that reveals who God is, the the love of, of Christ Jesus. So love one another. Simple, huh? Don't let those dams be built. Watch out for those beavers. Don't let anything get in the way of manifesting his love through you so that the world might know who God is. Let's pray. Lord, we only know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And what a knowledge it is to know the essence of who you are, that you are love, and not love like the world loves, but love that only you love, propitiatory love, unconditional, undeserved love that sacrifices and saves. 
God, help us not to take that knowledge for granted as if that was just the way things are. God, help us to see that that's a supernatural revelation through your son that we would never know unless your son had come. And thank you for saving us and loving us. And thank you for putting your love within us. And may that love truly be demonstrated through your people. God, truly help us not to let things get in the way of that love. Not to let little petty things get in the way and stop that love from flowing. Thank you that it's there. Use us, Lord, for your glory here in this valley. Use your saints all around the world. Thank you, God. May you be glorified through us forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.